Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio. This is JRoot Radio Halakha Hour on Wednesday afternoons where we discuss Halakha. Usually we use the books from the, the we use the Sefer the Benish High and Suli Benish High class, but around the holiday season we start to speak about the holidays and the halachot pertaining most practical halachot pertaining to the holidays. Let's first give you the numbers of the station. For those who are interested in calling in, we ask you that today, as well as uh, the next couple of weeks when we talk about Pesach, we ask that maybe you call in at the end of the show. The show will be over at 3 o'clock. So you call in please after the show, and we'll be here to answer all questions. If we finish a little bit earlier, maybe we'll have a few minutes at the end of the class, but otherwise, please call afterwards. If you have a question right away when you're listening to this class, you could text it in. Text it in at 347 927-8398 for any questions regarding Pesach especially but any questions really in Halakha if we're able to answer we'll try to answer if we see it on the text we might be able to bring it in to include it into the class but otherwise we'll try our best to be able to answer you and you want to call in after 3 o'clock the number is 718-683-5858 now here are the numbers and the ways that you can listen to us. This is live on Wednesday afternoon, 2 to 3 p.m. So if you're listening to this at night, it's not live, but you can still access the show by going to jrootradio.com. jrootradio.com. Right now you can watch and listen live. There's, we have a camera, and you can just see me speaking to a mic, but that's pretty much live. Three, And that's jrootradio.com. You can also listen on the Jroot Radio Pro app from your Android or Apple device. And to call in, if you want to listen on the phone, the number is 718-506-9099. The other number is 712-432-4217. That's the way to listen to whatever you need to listen, you know, to listen to this class. Now, before we come to the actual Halakha class, let's just give a little bit of a recap. In the four weeks from Purim to Pesach, and beginning from last week, actually, we started talking about the halachot of Pesach. And we started last week with all the things really that pertain to the month of Nisan, a little bit of introduction to halachot of Pesach. This week, we get to, I guess, to the meat and potatoes of the halachot of Pesach. We'll talk about cleaning for Pesach, what is hametz, what is kitniyot and rice, and all these other things. As well, if so, how to kosher certain utensils in the kitchen. And again, like we said beforehand, all phone calls, please, we ask that you call at the end of the show because pretty much most of the achot um, that we'll be discussing, we hope to cover almost every area. If we cannot cover every area, then Mazat Hashem, you'll uh, let us know through a text, certainly, and certainly if you call in afterwards at the end of the show. Let's begin. Class number two. How and where to clean for Pesach. Before we start cleaning for Pesach, we have to know what we're cleaning for. What are we looking for? What are we searching for? And what's the purpose of cleaning for Pesach? Is it just spring cleaning? Or is it really an obligation to clean for Pesach? So let me tell you off the bat that cleaning for Pesach is brought down. Checking for hametz is also halakha. Bedikat hametz will be speaking about Bezat Hashem in its own time in a different class. But the cleaning as well, the Ramah brings down in halakhot of bedikat hametz, a person should clean for Pesach. Why? Because it makes it easier. What are you cleaning? What are you getting rid of? Well, if you have to do bedikat, we all know that's much easier to search a clean room for whatever you want to search for, then a messy room. Even though the item that you're looking for might be in your face, but all the other stuff that's blocking you away will not allow you to search for the item properly. What you're looking for is hametz. What is hametz? Hametz is not anything that you just think is hametz. There's specifics of what is called hametz and what is not called hametz. Let's begin with a basic introduction of what is hametz. Hametz is basically... Really, the word hametz in Hebrew is the same word as hamutz, sour. When things spoil, they turn usually sour. That's how we test, we know if the milk spoiled, if the food spoiled, when it becomes hamutz. So hametz is really a spoiling of specific grains. And these are only these following five grains. These five grains, if they 
get spoiled, they turn into hamits. We're going to speak about how they turn into hamits in a second. But first, let's bring out what are these five grains. They are wheat, barley, spelt, oats, and rye. Most of us are familiar with wheat. Some of us more with barley if we make chalent in the house. And spelt for those a little bit more of allergic or on a diet, spelt rice cakes, oats from oatmeal, and rye. I don't know how often they use rye, but these are the five grains pretty much. The Hakamim tell us these five grains have a lot of halakhot. One of the main halakhot is that it turns into hamits. How does it turn into hamits? Anytime these five grains have become wet or mixed with water, when they're ground and they're made into flour and then they mix with water, then, if you leave it like that by itself, it'll eventually turn into hamids. How long does it take for it to turn into hamids? Without any other external factors, it should take it about 18 minutes. That's a psak of Shohan Aruch. Water mixed with flour becomes hamids after 18 minutes. Now, there are other things that could speed up the process of this mixture turning into hamids, such as heat. Such as a person's body heat. For example, if you put your hands and you start mixing the flour and the water together, each person has body heat. I believe it's 98.6. So you're already adding a little bit of heat. How fast does it make it now become hamet when you start mixing it? We don't know. But certainly it increases the speed. It's not 18 minutes anymore. It's much less than 18 minutes. Also, if you add any other additives like salt or other ingredients in this mixture, it could also speed up the process of himuts, of turning this mixture into hamets. For that reason, when we say 18 minutes it takes for something to become hamets, that's when it's flour and water. But really, if you have other factors like the room is very hot, you're next to an oven, let's say a hot boiling oven, or the heat is on in the house, or let's say you're standing under the sun, you're working the dough. All these things could make the dough or this mixture in front of you turn into hamet much faster. However, so you're going to say, oh my gosh, so how, how are we eating matzot? Matzot should be hamet. Once you mix the flour and the water and they start mixing it, maybe it turns hamet by the time they put it in the oven. And the answer is, there's another halakha, and that is, if you have flour and water which you turn into a dough, and you're constantly working on the dough. Your hands are constantly working on dough. That means you keep on mixing and mixing and mixing and rolling. As long as you keep on physically actually working on the dough, then that dough will never turn hametz, even if you stay all day on it. Because it doesn't allow the things to ferment, to rise. So that is a way to prevent it from turning hametz, which is how the matzah factory work. Just go, you, they just mix the flour and the water together. They're constantly mixing it until it's ready to go into the oven and they put it in the oven right away. Once it bakes, the baking process removes basically all the liquid from it. And that's pretty much, it stays the way it is. It's not going to turn hametz anymore. That's if everything was baked, which is one of the reasons also, if you look at your matzot, no matter if they're machine or handmade, they have holes in it. Not because it's a holy matzah, but they have holes in order to allow the fire to be able to get through all the parts. This way, everything is baked properly, baked fully, and that doesn't turn hametz because you're not working the, the matzah after it's in the oven. That's it. You assume that once it's in the oven, it's baked fully, you're not going to work it anymore. This is why we bake it right after we work on it, even though you're going to tell me I have 18 minutes. You don't have 18 minutes technically. You only have 18 minutes if you're not touching it. If you're working it, then that's already turning it to hametz. What are the signs that Gemara tells us? There are signs. If you could look at the dough, you could see how, if it started to turn hametz or not. Some of the signs, although they're not limited to this, is that the dough starts to whiten a little bit. Also, you see a little bit of hair cracks on the hametz. I found in the book of uh, Rabbi Blumenkrantz, right there in the beginning, he brings this whole scientific explanation of how it works, uh, you know, how hametz works and how uh, it turns into hametz. Anybody who's interested in science and all these things, so this is the uh, basically um, the, the way it turns into scientific way, it turns into hametz. If you're interested in science and things, look over there. In the Torah, we find two terminologies, hametz and seor. As far as the halakha is concerned, pretty much we're going to have the same things. Hametz and seor is pretty much hametz. Seor is just that when they would make they would make certain doughs that would allow them to become spoiled, basically what we would call spoiled, become sourdough. And that would be used as a yeast to allow other doughs to rise. 
what we would call today yeast. Our yeast today is not made the same way it used to be made in all the days. In all the days, they would make a mixture and allow it to sit for a while till it becomes very sour. And then they would take a little bit of it and mix it with all new doughs and all to allow it to rise. Hametz and Seor, we find in the Torah that the Torah tells us during the holiday of Pesach, these things are forbidden. And not only that, the Torah tells us that there's a punishment. If one eats from these foods, if he does it on purpose. So you see, as the Rambam points out, from the punishments that the Torah places on certain sins, you see how severe they are and how important they are in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Here Hashem is telling us that there's a hayub karet of eating hametz on Pesach, must be very, very, very severe. We have to be very, very careful from it. Not only that, this is what we just said is only the Oraita. We find that there are certain things that even Hachamim were very stringent by hametz more than anything else. By Hametz, we find that Hachamim said that although in the mixture you may have, not you may have, but if you have something that's kosher and something that's not kosher that got mixed with it, we have the famous rule of betul beshishim, which means it takes about 60 times amount of the kosher food to nullify the forbidden food. That's the, in general the rules of Tarovit. Sometimes it's a little bit more than 60, sometimes it's a less than 60, but that's pretty much the rule. However, we find by Hametz, Hachamim were stringent. And although Midoraita, Hametz mixed with other foods could have a chance to become Batel, Hachamim said, no way. Even if it's a little bit of a speck and it got mixed on Pesach, a little bit of a speck of Hametz that fell into a whole big mixture that's Kashel Pesach, a little bit of Hametz would make the whole Tabshil forbidden, would make the whole food forbidden. So you see, even Hachamim went so far to be Oser Hametz Afilu Bimashihu. And that's a psaq of the Shohan Aruch as well. So you see that it's a very, very severe thing. We have to be very careful from it. Now, what is the Torah really oser? What is, okay, eating, I understand. Is it limited to just eating? We can, just cannot eat hametz? And the answer is no. Hametz is forbidden in three ways from the Oraita. It's forbidden to eat hametz. It's also forbidden to have any benefit from hametz with the Oraita. What does it mean benefit? I may not sell hametz on Pesach. Even though I'm not eating it, I want to give it away as a present to my housekeeper. I want to sell it to the goy. And I feel, you know, chaval, why am I throwing out such a big quantity of food? Let me sell it. No, that's forbidden. Also, we find that Torah places another isur, and that is of ownership. You may not own any hametz on Pesach. We'll explain what these things are. Eating is asur. It means not just eating, even drinking. So things like uh, beer or uh, I guess, you know, vodka that's made out of wheat or barley, whatever it may be. All these alcoholic drinks that have wheat inside of them is also forbidden. So it's not just eating, it's also eating, it's also drinking. And like we said, the Torah says, Ki kol ochel Eating hametz comes with a big, big, severe punishment. It's a isur of karet. If you eat less than the shi'ur, if you eat less than the amount of Kezayit, of Hametz on Pesach, it's still forbidden in HaTorah, even though you tell me there's no punishment of Kareh, but still forbidden in HaTorah. And the Isur doesn't begin on Pesach, but it begins at Pesach from Hatzot. And that, Be'ezat Hashem, in the next class, we'll discuss the uh, ramifications of, of it beginning earlier. That has to do with Bidikat Hametz. We'll get to that, Be'ezat Hashem. Other things like, that are also forbidden, Hachamim also made the times when the Hametz is forbidden, they made it earlier than the time in the Torah. Although the Torah gives you up to Hatzot on night of Pesach, Hachamim said no. Two hours prior to Hatzot, one may not eat from the Hametz. Why? Because of the stringency of Hametz. The second thing that we find that the Torah also forbade Hametz in is in benefit. As Hachamim tells us, anytime it says, Lo yochal, lo it doesn't mean just you cannot eat. It means also <clears throat> one cannot have any benefit from Hametz. The third issue that we find in the Torah of Hametz, we find the Torah forbids us to own any Hametz, which is the reason why we have to sell our hametz, if you have a minhag of selling your wheat, barley, oats, or whatever it may be, you could sell your hametz. And if you don't have such a minhag, we'll talk about the minhag of selling or not later on. But the Torah tells us you cannot be the owner of hametz over Pesach, even though it's not in your house. It might be in another place, but, but it's your hametz. As long as you're considered the owner of hametz, it's asur. 
Where does it say? Two pesukim. It says, Lo yera or You should not have any sour dough, which we explain that's hamit in any of your uh, borders, which means any of your uh, wherever you live. Also, the pasuk says, Seor You should not find any sour in your household. So if you look in the halakha, you'll find these terminologies. Lo That those two isurim from the Torah are consist of the person who is the owner of any hamits. Now, Hachamim also made another gezerah, again from the strangers of hamits. Hachamim said, if you think you're going to just go ahead and, you know, not get rid of your hamits before Pesach, you want to just keep it around and hide it, you know, in your basement where nobody's going to see it, and, you know, nobody will know that you have hamits over Pesach, you don't care, you'll do the Isudaraita, it's between you and God. Don't worry, God loves me. You'll say, and uh, he's going to forgive me. Hachim said, no way. Any hamits that went through the holiday of Pesach under the ownership of a Jew, Hachamim said, it becomes a sur midrabanan, not only in eating, but even in benefit. That's a very, very strong gezerah. The Hachamim were Oser Hamet Sha'abar Alav Pesach Be'achilab Hana'ah. Even if it was done by mistake, you forgot to sell your Hamet, you left it in your, in your property, you forgot to sell it, you forgot to get rid of it, you didn't know you had it. If you have Hamet that was under your ownership through the holiday of Pesach, becomes a sur after Pesach, and eating it and consuming it, as well as in having any, deriving any benefit from it, Medera Banan. This is a small introduction to the laws of Hametz. Like we said before, and we'll repeat again, it's a very, very severe isur. The Torah is very, very stringent about the Mitzvah of Hametz, as well as the Hachamim. You see how much they went through it. Next, I want to speak about is the Mitzvah, not the Mitzvah, but the laws of rice and kitniyot. And I want to bring it right next to Hametz because I want to point out something very important. We find, we all know this, Ashkenazim don't eat rice, Sfaradim eat rice. And both those are not knowledgeable, you know, they can't understand each other. You know, some Ashkenazim think that Sfaradim are eating rice and they're eating Hamid on Pesach because rice, Asur, yeah, you can't eat rice on Pesach. On the other hand, the Sfaradim look at the Ashkenazim with a, you know, a very sympathetic look and they say, oh, wow, poor Ashkenazim, what do they eat on Pesach? Meat and potatoes? Wow, I feel so bad for them. How could you not have rice? Rice is a main staple. And both people cannot understand each other. What's wrong with rice? The Svaradim will say. And the Ashkenazim will say, Bloody murder, how could you eat rice on Pesach? You have to wake up once today hot extra because you're eating Hamid on Pesach. So let's explain rice on Pesach that we should have a clear understanding of why people eat Hamid and people don't eat Hamid. I mean, excuse me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Why people eat rice and why some people don't eat rice. Now, I just want to point out that besides rice, the Ashkenazim are also careful from things called kitniyot. Kitniyot means, from the shortish, is katan, small. Any small grains, basically, that grow in, you know, kind of like rice. Rice is grown in small grains. It's not only rice, but also, like, for example, corn. They want to eat corn. And different menhagim throughout the generations have different things of what they would call kitniyot. Let's discuss something very, very important. Number one is, rice is not hamitz. If you were told so by someone when you were younger, then you were misinformed. Rice is not hametz at all. Although there is an opinion in the Gemara, Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri, who says that rice is hametz, the, clearly the halakha, the Gemara comes out, is not like Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri. We find in the Gemara that they ate rice on Pesach. Clearly halakha is not like the opinion of Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri. Rice is not hametz. The Gemara, we find that they ate rice on Pesach. So there is no question that rice is not hametz. So if rice is not hametz, and we find the Gemara that they ate rice on Pesach, the question is, what are we? Are we, are we any better that we, we all of a sudden we decide that it's hametz or hoshesh? And the answer is, nobody in the world, not Sfaradin, not Ashkenazi, thinks, I mean, anybody that knows halakha, that rice is hametz. Rather, the gizera of rice and kitniyot came throughout the generations because of a fear of hametz. And it started with the Ashkenazi countries. Let's begin how it started in the Ashkenazi countries. What happened is like this. Once upon a time, they used to find, they used to grow the rice next to the wheat fields, next to the fields of oats, right? Whatever it may be, they grew them right next to each other. And harvesting 
was done with the wind blowing and mixing up some of the grains, some of the five grains together with the grains of rice or millet or whatever it might be or other kitniyot. And they were all mixed together. So it wasn't such a big mixture, but it was enough already that if you didn't sift it properly, it's very, very possible or likely that maybe you would have had wheat kernels in your rice on Pesach. So we find that the Gedolei Ashkenazim from many, many, many years ago, we're talking about hundreds of years ago already, the Ramah brings us this in the name of a few already, a few Rishonim, already that there was a custom that they don't eat rice. One of the main reasons, like we said, however, there are other reasons as well, because rice and kitniyot are very, very, very similar to the five grains. As we just explained before, and the five grains, if you have any water on them, or if you cook them, they turn to hamits. And the only time they don't turn into hamets, these five grains, is when you mix it with water, you knead it, and you put it in the oven right away. You bake it. But if you cook any of the five grains, you make a wheat soup, a barley soup, or you make oatmeal on, on, on Pesach, that's already 100% hamets. There's no question about that. So being that they were scared that, you know, if you allow people to cook rice, people, they can say, this is a grain, this is a grain. They might not be able to dis- not to tell the difference between them. Not only that, if you take rice and you grind it, you turn it into flour. Or you take corn and you grind it, you turn it into flour. You can make anything out of it. You can make corn muffins, you can make corn bread, you can make rice bread. And they look exactly the same. You, it's very, very hard to tell the difference. So because of this reason, also this, this is another reason why they felt that we, we're going to be goes there. We're going to make a special decree that we will not be eating rice because people might not be able to tell the difference between rice and regular grains. People will make bread because they're going to say, well, the rabbi's wife is making bread. No, the rabbi's wife is making rice bread. You're making wheat bread. This is hametz. This is 100% kashala pesa. So therefore they felt we need to be gozer on anything that turns into or that you can make flour, flour out of it. I believe also the Hayat Adam brings down for this reason that since potatoes, today we know there's a lot of food that is made from potatoes on Pesach. A lot of cakes are really potato cakes, which would be the Brachav Shehakol on Pesach, even after Pesach, right? It's made out of potatoes, flour of potatoes. So for that reason, the Hayat Adam says, he wanted to say that also, Potatoes should be forbidden on Pesach because they can make a lot of food made out of potatoes. But I believe that Minhag by Mos Ashkenazim is not that way. But you see, it's one of the reasons even the Hayadam, who lived in the time of the Gra about 250 years ago, also was very you know careful with this reason, maybe to be Osir, maybe even potatoes. Another reason we find also that rice should be forbidden, the Ashkenazim were gozer on rice, is because... The shipment of rice was done in the same bags that they shipped wheat. It's not like today it's disposable. You buy a huge, nice bag and you throw it out afterwards. You're just trying to get rid of it. Back then, everything was reusable. There's no need for recycling. Everything was recycled. So the same bags that they used to use to ship wheat with it, they would ship rice with it. And you could imagine how much was stuck in between the threads. And that sometimes came out with the rice and became a big problem. So these reasons and a few other reasons... The Gedolei Ashkenazim said, we are stringent on rice and kitniyot. We do not eat them on Pesach. However, they're not hamits. And because they're not hamits, the, it's important to keep in mind, because they're not hamits, therefore, you don't have to treat them like hamits. You don't have to sell them on Pesach. You don't have to sell them with your Pesach. You don't have to uh, get rid of them before Pesach. You could have them in your house. Remember when the Torah says, it's forbidden to own any hamits, yeah, like we said beforehand, it's forbidden to own any hamets, real hamets. These are not real hamets. This is kitniyot, this is rice and kitniyot. It's mutar from the Torah, there's no problem with it at all. Not only that, I'll give you a few leniencies when it comes to rice and kitniyot. And then we'll talk about some later on. Number one is that beliot, if you have a pot that you always cook rice in it, so now the flavor of the rice is in the walls of the pot. You don't have to kosher that pot for Pesach. It's only Bili'ot. You can use the same pots. There's a humrah on rice. There's a humrah on kitniyot by the Ashkenazim and some Sfaradimas we'll talk about soon. But there is no isur on the Bili'ot. There is no stringency that is on the Bili'ot, on the flavor that's in the walls of the rice pots or any pots that are used for kitniyot. Also, kitniyot are not mukseh. 
Hametz is mukseh. That means if you find it on Yom Tov, you can't touch Hametz. You have to cover it and make sure you burn it during Holomoyed. But on Pesach, the kitniyot, if you find kitniyot, okay, in Hasposid, it's not, it's not mukseh. You can, you can pick it up. Not only that, you can make it, you could cook it even for a person who does eat um, kitniyot. Let's say, Le Mashal, you have uh, your son-in-law, right? you're going to your son-in-law, and your son-in-law is Sfaradi, and he eats rice. So you could give him rice. You could cook, you could pass the rice to him, certainly. You could cook for him the rice. You don't eat it. Okay, but it doesn't make him muksay. Not only that, not only that we find the halakha tells us, children that are very, very sick, not very sick, I don't want to say that word very sick, forget that. No, children that may not be able to eat regular food, and they need to eat rice, little kids that is, you could even serve them Rice, even for your Ashkenazi. Now that, I'm not going to say on the radio, just go ahead and do whatever you like. I'm going to tell you, go ask your rabbi. But that's a halakha. If you have a child that has a special condition, he may be able to be, he may be allowed to eat rice. Not only kids, but even adults who must eat it for whatever reason. I don't know. You know, some people have certain conditions. Of course, you can't just decide on your own. But if it's needed, you could go ask your rav. Your rav who's a tamir hakam, who knows a halakha, he'll tell you if you could eat rice or not. Which means to say that in certain situations they allowed it. However, they you cannot you cannot be so lenient with it and say, oh, it's mutar, it's not a big deal, it's only minhag. So let me eat it. Why should I eat my meat and potatoes? Let me eat rice on Pesach. I'm Ashkenazi. Let me eat. No, the Gidolei Ashkenazim were very very stringent about this, they, and they said. Nobody's allowed to be matilit. It's, it's it's very very important that we keep this minhag, and it's important. Yes, even though it's a minhag, but people have a minhag. We have to respect it. Even us for Adim that eat rice, if they eat, they, the Ashkenazim don't eat rice, and we manufacture things. We have to label for them that we, they should be careful. They shouldn't eat rice on Pesach, even though it's only minhag. But still, they're careful with such a minhag. We have to cater to them. As well as I'm sure they'll cater to us when we have our own special minhagim of things that we don't eat. I'm sure the Ashkenazim will cater also to us as well. That is the reason why Ashkenazim, we find in Halakha, where the post brought, why the Ashkenazim do not eat rice or kidneyot on Pesach. But it's not only Ashkenazim. In fact, there's a lot of communities, a lot of Sfaradi communities that people, that Sfaradim also don't eat rice on Pesach. Where did it come from? The Pihadash brings a story of one time <clears throat> they had a big party. It was done by a very wealthy man and invited all the Rabbanim, the Hashubim, the Kahal. And in this big party, they had this big, big bowl of rice. And the rice over there was checked, of course, many, many, many times. And in the middle of the party, somebody notices there's a wheat kernel that was cooked together with the rice. Which, by the way, on Pesach makes, according to all opinions, everything in the whole pot is Asur. And that means everybody who was eating from that rice beforehand was eating in the Sud of because you have the wheat kernel mixed with it. And right away the Hakamim uh, felt, you know, this was, I, I, how could he get through? This is a rich man, obviously he had many, many servants. And, you know, Lo said Lo Kesef that he should hire people to check the, and still they were able to find wheat. Therefore, they made a gizera. Certain communities amongst the Sfaradi made a gizera that they also will not eat rice on Pesach. And there are some communities that will not eat, that only rice they will not eat, such as Moroccans, Turkish Jews, they don't eat rice on Pesach. Other communities, not means Sfaradi communities, will not just not eat rice. They'll also not eat even other kitniyot. And each one has his own custom. Whatever it may be, for the Sfaradim who do have the menhag of eating rice, and there's nothing wrong with eating rice if you have such a minhag. For those Faradim that have the minhag of eating rice, the older post giving down, you must check it three times. Even though you can tell me the reasons that they were gozer don't apply nowadays because our fields are separate and we don't have the same bags, we have disposable bags, and we know how to make the difference, we eat it anyway. It doesn't make a difference. No exceptions. The rice must be checked three times before you eat it. What does it mean? Check it yeah, go through each one. You just take a bunch, look through them, sift through them, make sure you don't see... Anything that looks strange, because I don't know if you could tell the difference between a rice kernel and a wheat kernel, if you could, but if you cannot, just anything that looks strange, get rid of it. I personally check a little bit of rice. I'm not such a big checker. We don't, you know, people eat rice as usually me in the house. It's not everybody, all my kids. So in that case, I've not really found much, but those who check a lot of rice have told me that they found. It doesn't make a difference whether they find or don't find. What I'm trying to point out is, we eat rice, but we have to check it three times. No exceptions. 
Now, there is an issue with rice every single year that the issue that was brought up by some of the Kashrut companies in America is really, and you see also the poskim bring it, Chambadia talks about it already, is something that will, will enriched rice. Most of the grains that are sold in America have to be enriched. The enrichment, basically, it's what they, they spray on it and they, these chemicals, and which contain a lot of vitamins, which are essential vitamins that we need in order to develop properly in some third world countries where they don't spray TC, that they, they're deficient in many, many of the main vitamins. In any case, we have most of our rice, you see it says enriched rice on it. So the issue came up that perhaps one of the ingredients in the enriched rice may be hamets. Was it verified? Was it not verified? I'm not sure. It's a question every single year. Is it yeah? Is it not? So in the past, there was a big question of which rice you could use, which rice you cannot use. Everybody agrees. If it's not enriched rice, so there's no problem. If you look at the bag and you see it comes from a third world country where it's not enriched, so non-enriched rice on Pesach, it's not a problem. You don't have any issue. What did they spray with? It's regular grains of rice. You just have to make sure to look through it three times to make sure there's nothing mixed between that should be any wheat or anything else. However, when it is enriched, there was a question in the past. What should you do? Should you wash it? Should you... Today, Baruch Hashem with the, uh, I believe the Starkeh has a special run. The Starkeh has a special run of rice, specially made from famous companies that we use throughout the year, that is not enriched. So therefore, in our days, the, most of the rabbis I've spoken to have said, why should we go through a stuff fake? Maybe the enrichment has hamets, not has hamets. Here you have an option. It might cost you a few more dollars, depending on who cares. You have an option over here to buy rice with a special hechsher for Pesach. So take that rice and that's it. We don't have to worry now, put ourselves in the safek. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Just go and get that rice that has a special run for Pesach. And if you go look on the Starkey's website, go to starkey.org or .com, I forget right now, but you'll Google it, Starkey Pesach Passover Guide 2015, and you'll see over there exactly which rice is good to use for Pesach, which rice is, is, uh, is, uh, that they, um, they give hechsher on, and which rice, even without hechsher, you could use every year. It changes, so make sure you don't just use last year's on, you know, list, and I heard last year was good. Every year it's something else. These are the people who are experts. These are people in the Kashrut company. They're on top of it. So you go over there and you check it out. This way, you don't have an issue. And again, non-enriched rice should not be a problem. If it's enriched, use the special hechsher to avoid any possible issues. This is an introduction of what is hametz and what is rice and what is the issues with rice is. And now we could come back to our subject. Cleaning the house for Pesach. Now you know what to clean for. You need to clean for a few reasons. Number one, like we said, is to get rid of the hametz. You already know what hametz is because ownership of hametz is asumed deoraita. Also, if you have it in your house and it remains after Pesach and you haven't sold it, you haven't gotten rid of it properly, then it becomes asumed derabanan after Pesach. Also, like we said, the second reason for cleaning a hametz is like what the Ramah brings down is in order that yibedikat hametz, which is done at Pesach, should be done properly. It will be much easier. This is the purpose of cleaning your house for Pesach, for these two things from a halakhic point of view. Many people confuse him, especially the ladies. They think it's spring cleaning. They think it's that time of the year where if I don't dust the whole house, then uh, I'm going to have a messy house. If you pretty much have a neat house, you... Search you, you clean the house from the hamits like we just spoke about. That's pretty much, that's it. You're done. You don't need to do all these little details. You don't need to go to the corners of the drawer where you only put the silverware and make sure you with a toothpick to take out the little bit of dust. You don't need to do that for Pesach. You want to? But the rule is, I'll quote Mordechai Weimager, who said a beautiful line, and he said like this, he says, everybody's entitled to Meshugas, Everybody's entitled to have his own craziness as long as that craziness doesn't affect you or other people around you in a negative way, then you're allowed to have your craziness. So same thing. You want to have your craziness on Pesach. Halakha says 100% you're allowed to. By Pesach, we find so many humrot, so many stringencies on Pesach. Like we said in the last class, a person shouldn't even be offended or uh, bothered by anybody who is very, very mahmir on Pesach. Don't be intimidated either on Pesach from people who keep Hamrot. On Pesach, you're allowed to have as much Hamrot as possible. So if one of your Hamrot is to 
Make sure there's not a spot of dust in the house. I'm not talking about hametz. I'm talking about just even dust. Okay, you're allowed to do it. No problem. But in halakha, you have to make sure you get rid of anything that's hametz. Kitniyot and rice. You don't have to get rid of them. You can keep them in the house. Even if you're Ashkenazi, you don't have to sell them either. Just hametz, you have to get make sure you get rid of it. Whether you decide to sell it or not, again, we'll talk about that later on. But it has to be away from the house or away from your ownership, even though it might be in the house. Now, to make things easier for you, we've composed a little bit of a list. It's not limited to the, to the, the, the list is not limited. I'm sure you could th- think of other ideas. These are just good suggestions of things that you um, would be able, you should clean the house. These are areas that you should focus on, on cleaning and getting rid of hamas from these areas. What I found is that with the, if you have a smartphone, that means if you're listening to us right now on the on the app, you should have a smartphone. But if you have a smartphone, I found that something very, very interesting. You can make, you know, if you want to make Pesach cleaning easier for you, you're not beginning your Pesach cleaning yet, you should take a picture of every room in your house and then go to the photo edit app or whatever you have in your phone. And over there, make hours exactly what needs to be cleaned. We find by Pesach, most of the halachot of Pesach are really in preparation for the Pesach, like the Seder night. You have to have already the matzah baked from beforehand. You have to have the food from beforehand. You have to have the model. Everything is pretty much prepared for the holiday of Pesach. Cleaning also. the whole, All the halachot of cleaning for Pesach is really a preparation for Pesach. And therefore, you also should make a preparation. Make a preparation list of what areas you have to target, which areas you have to clean for Pesach, and guess what, which areas you don't have to clean for Pesach. And then afterwards, go and do the areas that you must clean first. And then if you have extra time and you want to do all the other details, fine, you can go ahead and do it. This will save you a lot of time and a lot of worry. And you don't have to get overwhelmed. People sometimes make something small and too big. It's in your head and sometimes it's too big. When you write it down, you look at the piece of paper, you realize it's not so bad. Let's give you a few of the recommendations of places you have to look for. Again, it's not limited. This is just my own, you know, what ran through my mind. If your house is you know, built differently and you have other places, obviously, you make your own list. In the kitchen, obviously. All the cabinets. Under the chairs, under the table. On the table itself, a lot of people make challah on the table. And therefore, there's a lot of dough that's stuck on it. So all that you have to clean. If you plan to clean it, if you have to, you know, that we'll talk about later on. How to kosher your kitchen. But right now, as far as cleaning, these are areas you should look for. Chairs, tables, even under the chairs and under the tables. And inside the fridge and inside the freezer as well. Even if you plan to sell your hamets that's inside the freezer or the Fridge, make sure you have it in a special shelf by itself, as we'll talk about Bazat Hashem later on. Also, storage rooms where you store food. If you have a storage room where you don't store food, you only store, let's say, clothing inside over there, you don't necessarily have to clean it if you know that you don't bring hamets in there, or if you don't have little children that may bring hamets in there. Storage rooms that are for food, you should clean them for hamets if you're planning to use those storage rooms on Pesach. Also, cars. Well, it doesn't make a difference what kind of car you have. Even a small little sports car or a big minivan, you have to make sure it's clean from hametz unless you are 100% certain that you will never, ever, ever bring a hametz in your car and hard to believe by your, a from family, you know, with kids that there's no hametz in the cars. Here's other area that many people overlook, couches. Couches, but don't go crazy with the couches. Only where your hands could reach or where the kids could reach. In between the cushions, you have to look. Sometimes you'll see that you'll find a lot of hametz over there. You put the vacuum in there, you'll see you'll, you'll be able to dig up a lot of hametz from there. Make sure you don't overlook that. Kids' toys. How about that? Kids' toys. Children's toys, a lot of times, I'm talking about you know all their dolls and, uh, and the Legos and all these things. Sometimes a lot of them will have a lot of hametz almost everywhere. So those really, you have to go through them to make sure there's no hametz. You don't have to go through each little Lego piece and check for it. Pretty much, you spill the Lego box, you look for it, you look, you see it's only toys, you put it back in. Do you have to scrub every little uh, Lego? No. If you, again, you want to do spring cleaning, hazak baruch, but in halakha, you have to scrub every single one. And we're not worried the particles are on it. We're looking for real hametz to get rid of the real hametz. 
But a point of caution, though, kids, uh, you know, halakha brings it, and uh, anybody who has kids knows the kids will get hamets everywhere. So don't assume that, you know what, okay, it's only a toy, why would my kids put hamets? No, 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 you'll find a lot of hamets over there. And uh, sometimes they'll have hamets over there that they may even eat on Pesach. So you gotta be careful. You have to do your best or whatever, as much as you can. But I'm giving you a list of what to look for. Also, behind the beds, under the beds, especially if you have children, you know, I've said this in the past one year where I was looking for Hamet or really helping my wife clean the house for Pesach, moved the bed, and a lot of the nash is stored over there from the children, right? You're wondering where all that nash go after Purim. I really thought I had so much. I Wow, I can't believe it finished so quickly. The kids already have taken it. They're hiding it. Also, look in your children's school bags. Look inside of them. In Bedikat Hametz, anyway, you have to check them, but clean them when they're already off from school or when they're not bringing Hametz anymore, when they're not having any Hametz in their possession, take the bags, empty out the contents, and all the pockets, check them. A lot of times they forget you're going to find maybe your peanut butter sandwich from, you know, three, four months ago that, you know, your son came home crying that he didn't have lunch that day. It's probably there in that pocket. Check for them. Clothing of children and adults. If you're an adult, then you never put food in your pockets, so you don't have to worry about it. But if you are a child, or if you have a child, excuse me, for sure you have to look for it because children, again, have, bring put hamets everywhere. In their pockets, in their jacket pockets especially. Ladies, check your purses. Many ladies on the run, they're always eating something. And they put in their purses a lot of food, a lot of nutrition bars, a lot of snacks. Uh, and they change their purses, you know, I think they have one for Sunday and one for Tuesday and whatever. The even numbers and the odd numbers, they have uh, different purses for them. So make sure you check your purse. You may not realize it. You put it in one of the purses. You may use it on Pesach. Clean the purses as well on Pesach. Now, we're going to get to the list of areas that you do not have to clean for Pesach. You don't have to clean them. You don't have to worry about cleaning them from a halakhic point of view. I don't know if this will you know, alleviate you because I know that my words may be going on deaf ears because everybody's going to still do it anyway. As much as I say this myself, that you don't have to clean there, I'm still going to clean there anyway. Just It's in the back of my mind. You have to clean for it. But according to halakha, really, there is absolutely no problem. For the following areas, you don't have to clean them. For example, any area, the Halakha tells us, any area that a dog cannot bring up the hametz, you don't have to worry. So, but basically, if your child cannot bring it up, nobody can get to that hametz, if it may be there, then you have to clean there. You know, like for example, the ovens. Nobody pulls out their oven and starts looking there for food. You're hungry, you wake up in the middle of the night, you're tired, oh, I'm starving, I need some, you know, I need some snack. You open up the fridge, nothing's interesting. Oh, you know, let me pull out the oven and let me see if there's some food over there. Nobody's doing that. And you have to worry if there's hamets over there. Maybe there's some specks and things. You don't have to worry about that. That even if there's a little bit of crumbs of hamets behind the oven, you're going to do bitul, which is going to nullify it anyway. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to clean over there. And certainly, Bedikat Hametz does not have to be done over there. Also, we said beforehand, couches. If you have a couch, we said you have to check it, you have to make sure you clean it because there is really a lot of Hametz, a lot of snacks. People eat snacks on the couches. A lot of it falls in between the couches. However, you have to go so, so far. If you see that your hand or your little kid's hand reaches to a certain point and beyond that point, you're not going to be able to reach it. It's impossible to reach it. That's it. Wherever your hand reaches, and that's it. That's all you have to search for. That's all you have to clean from. You put the vacuum tube in there, and whatever sucks out. Of course, not in two seconds, but you know, you put it in there a little bit for a little bit of a while. Whatever you bring up, you bring up. You don't bring up. Okay, that's it. Nobody's going to be able to reach it. If the vacuum tube, which is much smaller than the kid's hand, didn't reach it, you don't have to worry that kids will pull it out. Also, if you have a fridge that's usually not moved, so even though you maybe there's some hametz under it, you don't have to worry about it. And I know everybody's going to pull out their fridges and their freezers. Okay, what can I do? But I'm telling you, I have to tell you the halakha. You don't have to. But like the Rosh says, Ashrehem Israel, Israel Kedoshim. They are going to look everywhere. They're going to even clean the hametz from the walls. Okay, that's great. But again, these areas now are not going to be moved. Then like the big fridge and the big freezer or the ovens, Things are under it. You don't have to look for hametz over there. You have to clean it even for Pesach. Here's another area that you don't have to clean for Pesach. 
is a room or a closet that you're planning to sell to the goy. If you're planning to sell this room with all the Hamid contents inside of it to a goy, then you don't have to clean that room for Pesach. And that's it. This is your room that you're going to clean. So what's the purpose of me cleaning? I'm excuse me, this is room that you're going to sell. So what's the purpose of cleaning it? Anyway, you're going to sell it. Anyway, there's going to be Hamid inside of it. Again, if you want to clean it because you want to be a clean, you want to be Mr. Clean and Mrs. Clean, but if you don't want, not from cleanliness, from Hamid, from a halakhic point of view, if you're planning to sell a closet or a room to a goy, you don't have to clean that room. Also, if you are certain that there is an area in your house that Hamid is never brought there, you don't have to clean that room either. Even though you may bring other things inside over there, but you know that there is no Hamid over there, you don't have to clean it. I'll give you a few examples. Bathrooms, attics, or a garage. If you know that I don't have, I never bring hamets in my garage. I only use my garage for things, you know, that, that I have to store. Sometimes I put my car in there. I never ever bring my hamets in any hamets in the garage. You don't have to clean your garage for Pesach. Same to be with bathroom or attic. However, I have to point out if you have kids under, if you have kids under the age of ten in the house. You could be pretty sure that there's hamets almost everywhere in the house because kids are <laughs> clever, good, and they pretty much could get anything anywhere. So you can't just say, "Okay, I don't. I'm not going I'm to eat hamets, and uh, I'm going to eat any food in the bathroom. I have to clean the house." No, but your kids would. A lot of times, you could go into the bathroom and see your kid over there, a little bit, kid, I'm talking about two, three years old, with, a, with food in his hand, <laughs> eating over there, eating away, he keep taking a bathtub and eating his meal. He might say, no, I'm kidding. Right? So, if you have children in the house, don't assume that there is no hamets in a certain area. Until you actually physically remove all the hamets in your house, you pretty much have, I would say, a hazaka of having hamets everywhere. So, therefore... You have an obligation to clean it as well as bedikat hamets in those areas. This is the list of where one has to clean in his house for hamets. We're moving on now to the next section, which is koshering your house for Pesach. Koshering your house for Pesach is going to actually, we're going to run in overtime a little bit, or we're going to have to continue next week. But the koshering your house for Pesach consists of two main halakhot that we're going to discuss. Number one is tevilat kelim. Number two is Hag'alat Kelim. Tevilat Kelim means dipping the new Kelim that one purchases for Pesach or for any, any time of the year. And koshering, Hag'alat Kelim means koshering the utensils, turning them from not kosher for Pesach to kosher for Pesach. And we'll begin with the first halakha. The Gemara tells us that one rabbi was asking another rabbi, he says, how do you kosher a certain utensil? How does more, how does master kosher a certain utensil? And he answered him, what do you mean? I just buy new, I just buy new ones. So the, the asking rabbi tells him, yes, you could afford to buy new ones. But for those people that can't afford it, what is the method of koshering? I believe it was knives. What's the method of koshering knives on Pesach? So you see from this Gemara, something very important. You see from this Gemara, that the rabbi who was answering he didn't tell him, oh, this is how you kosher the utensils. Eventually he told him, but in the beginning he told him, buy new ones. And that's really the preferred way. If a person has the ability financially, or sometimes it could be from storage reasons, or it could be if you have enough time, whatever it may be. If you have the ability, it is preferable that a person should have new utensils for Pesach. That you don't have to come to kosher your kitchen for Pesach. In fact, the Mishnah Berurah in Siman Tafnun Aleph, Sif Yutet writes, that's a mitzvah mina mubhar, that a person should get new Pesach utensils. He said it by knives, it applies almost pretty much to everywhere else. If you could get everything new for Pesach, that is the best. Some people, again, can afford it. Some people who could afford it, they have three kitchens, or three areas in the kitchen. One is for, par one is for dairy, one is for meat, and one is for Pesach. Where they do part, I don't know. But Pesach, they have a special kitchen for Pesach. That's the best. But the reality is most of us are not, you know, we cannot afford to do such a thing. So therefore, although we may have separate Pesach dishes and separate Pesach pots and separate, you know, a lot of things separate for Pesach, a lot of the stuff in the house we will have to use for 
we will have to use them anyway. We will have to caution them. So because of that, we have to know the halachot of caution kelim. But if we are buying new kelim for Pesach, then we have to know certain halachot. And that is the following. If we are buying new utensils, the Torah tells us that when one buys new utensils from non-Jews, as long as we're under non-Jewish ownership, then a person must take it and dip it in the mikveh. Dipping kelim, tevilat kelim, has nothing to do with kosher and kelim. Which means even if it's a brand new utensil, you still have to take it to the mikveh. However, not every item that you buy has to go to the mikveh. Plastics, wood, or pottery, things are made of pure pottery, you don't have to dip it in the mikveh. What are the things that you have to dip in the mikveh? Answer is metal and glass. Metal midde'oraita. Metal includes, by the way, uh, everything that's made out of metal, stainless steel, silver, or gold has to be dipped in mikveh, which means if you have a silver bench, uh, becher, I think they call it, a silver cup that you use for kiddush, that's also metal. It's not stainless steel, but it's metal. You have to dip it. That's the same thing with all your silverware, forks, knives, whatever it may be. All that must be dipped in the mikveh when it's purchased from a goy, or if it's made by a goy, and must be done with a beracha. Which means you make a beracha, al-tevilat kelim, and then you dip them. Glass also must be dipped, although the hayub, the obligation is only rabbinical, it's only the rabbanan, and that includes most of our cups, some plates, pyrex also, that's also glass. You dip it with a beracha. Some are stringent by porcelain, what they call china, because they glaze with glass to dip them. However, they dip them without any beracha. When you're dipping your kelim, we'll conclude this class with this, and these halachot kelim. When you're dipping your kelim, you should make sure to remove any stickers that are on them. No stickers on the bottom, make sure everything, because you can't have any hatzitsa. Just like a lady who goes to dip in the mikveh, she can't have anything on her body, she has to be very clean. Same thing over here, your kelim, your utensils that you're dipping in the mikveh have to be completely clean, or residue, or stickers that must come off. And make sure when you dip your kelim, to kosher the kelim, you dip the handle as well. You have to dip the whole thing, keep it underwater, and loosen your grip a little bit when you're dipping it underwater. And if you have a lot of utensils that you have to dip, you know, you could have a goy assist you as long as you're watching them dip in front of you that make sure that they've done it. You can't trust the goy and say, here, you tell your housekeeper, here are, you know, 10 glass cups, go to the mikveh, dip them for me. You, you can't trust her. You have to go with her, you have to make sure you see her doing it. There's no problem for her to dip it as long as it's done in front of you, but you can't trust them to do it on their own. These are the achod of tevilat kelim. The next section of halakhod will be how to kosher our utensils that we need to use for Pesach. As that's a shame that will come in the class to come. For now, we'll be signing off. We want to give a thanks to Iran and everybody in the studio for all their tremendous help as always. If you would like to call them in the studio, if you have any questions in halakha, to, on, especially on Pesach, 718-683-5858. Also, to text in your questions, 347-927-8398. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week, Wednesday, at 2 o'clock for the Halakha Hour.